Amen. I was just talking with Jared, and I'm like, man, the devil's a liar. God has got more for you and your family. Praise God. We're going through the book of Matthew right now, verse by verse. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, as we learn about children and being rich. And trust me, if you feel it doesn't apply to you because maybe you don't have children, you don't think you're rich, it does. This is going to apply to you. And even if you're saying, man, okay, I got a child, that, you're right, that applies to me, but I'm not rich. Oh, yes, you are. Compared to the rest of the world, yes, we are. We are. Let's go to Matthew 19, 13. Good to see you here. Thank you for coming. I know, um, you know, technically summer doesn't end till you know, the middle of September, but uh, for many of us after Labor Day, it kind of feels like the big wah, wah, that summer's over. But I want to encourage you, take advantage of this weather going into fall. Stay outside. Stay doing things active because, you know, our winters get long. They get long. So stay outside. I'm doing that with my family as well. And just a little fun note here. There are so many things to do for free. If you just talk to the different parents here, we're always learning about different things, especially for families. If you don't got a lot of shekels, one of the best things my family just found was a free park in Schaumburg that has so many cool things. It is like this old 1800s uh, farm. So you know how you go to these farms in the fall and you kind of pay money to either pick their apples or to pet their animals? Well, it's kind of like that, but it's all free. And I was looking at this farm and everything, and I was like, we could do this. I was like thinking to my family, I'm like, we could do this. We could have some animals. We could have some chickens. We, we could do this. And uh, it was fun for them to experience it a little bit. And then we started walking around. So that's a good place, Schaumburg. Check it out. And then there's some other things that you know what you can do with your family if you take advantage of it with the museums and all those things. Just want to encourage that. Matthew 19, 13, we're talking about children. The Bible says children are important. How many believe it? Amen. Look at it. It says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Everybody go, oh, Dito. How do you say it in the plural, oh, Ditos? Oh, okay. But you need to add the little, you, how do you say it in the plural? Bendito. That's plural now. Okay, I'm learning. Would you turn me down just a little bit in the monitors, please? So Ditos, not a word. Not a word. Okay, good. Now I know. Just continue to help your gringo pastor. Thank you. So, audito, oh, they were rebuked for bringing the children to them. Can I say audito oh, and still be okay? Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. No? I got yes and no's. The moms here are saying I can't. Does anybody want to give me permission besides them? I have to say it in the plural. The mom's saying, she's holding a child and she says I'm fine. Okay, I'm going with you on this. I, you're giving me permission again? Okay, thank you. Do you need a fan? Maybe, maybe this will help you out right there. There you go. All right, come on. Let's look at it. It says they got rebuked. They shouldn't have had did that. Now look at verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, what we see is that the disciples thought Jesus was too busy for children, and we're never too busy for children. Now, if you look around this church, you can see all these beautiful children here. And do I have permission? I want to ask you today. Do I have permission to touch each one of your children, at least tap them and pray for them today? Okay, so parent, if I don't, just pull your child away quickly, okay? This is all Jesus was doing. He just saw them, and he said, bless them. Look at this little one sleeping. Bless her. Bless this young man right here in Jesus' name. Look at these wonderful children back here. Another boy and a girl. Bless her. Bless him. We got one tucked away in here. Amen. Bless this little one. That's Harmony right there. I know some of their names. Bless this one. In the name of Jesus, bless this one. These three were the ones in the accidents. Are you guys okay today? Was that a little bit scary? Yeah, you know, we were in a very similar accident, and people got hurt, and that's even more scary. But you guys were protected today, okay? And your dad is a good driver. It wasn't your dad's fault, okay? So don't be scared. But, Lord, I pray you bless each one of them. I pray you continue to protect them and use them. Excuse me, little buddy. Any other children here? Any children? Let's come back this way to this littlest one. 
Oh, she is so precious. Hate to have favorites, but sometimes you do. Here's a precious favorite right here. Thank you for coming, Lord bless her. I skipped some of these in the front. Lord bless this man right here. Bless this man. He was also in the accident. Are you doing okay, dude? You're doing okay? And bless this little one. The Bible says we have time for children in church. That's what Jesus did. He had time. He blessed every single one of them. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think to ourselves that the children's dedication has some kind of a magical moment to it. All I am doing during a children's dedication is what we should do all the time. I bless my children most days twice a day, in the morning and at night. I bless them every single day, twice a day. And that's all we're doing here. Bless these two precious ones in the name of Jesus. Bless these ones right here, Lord. Keep them and use them. These are our neighbors right here. They live right by with us, and they hang out with my kids all the time. Bless them, Jesus. Somebody say, bless them, Lord. Amen. Now, was that hard? Now, if you wanted to rebuke me for doing that, then you would be getting rebuked by Jesus because Jesus made time for children. Now, in our church, we, we started off doing what most people do, and that's having a separate children's ministry. You would come to church, drop off your kids, get free babysitting for an hour or two, and then come here. But then, honestly, we started realizing that too many of us were missing our children and then a lot of the moms were saying, I'd rather just sit in the service with my kids. It's good for them to learn how to be still. I would rather them to have uh, the, you know, the presence of God in their lives and grow up singing these songs. And so honestly, we made a transition to bringing all the children here. Now, some of you at that point, you may need an odito because you want your children to go away for that two hours. <laughs> But I hope that you can get with what we're doing and appreciate it because this is a blessing to us. Like when I go to the movies, I don't put my children somewhere else. I come with my children, you know. I'm, you know, I have date nights. Of course, there's times when you want to have space from your children. We call that bedtime. Amen. And uh, if, they're, if they're not good, they go to bed early. Sometimes I'm like, it's five. Can you guys go to bed yet? No, I'm kidding, half kid. But, but here's the deal, because I have six kids, those who don't know, I have six. So here's the deal. We should have times where we get space as adults, but when I go to the park, I bring my kids. When I'm at home, I bring my kids. I eat my meals with my kids, right? Why would I not want my kids in church with me? And so back in this day, the idea of children's church and children being separate would not even have worked. That wasn't even in their mindset that they were with their children, and Jesus was wanting to pray for them, but the disciples go, no, 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 we're too busy for this, and then he rebukes them. And then look at what he says here in uh, verse uh, 16, uh, or excuse me, it says in verse 15, uh, 14, one of these verses. Thank you. Uh, that's my fault. I couldn't find it. There he goes. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So what would happen, God forbid, to these children's souls if something, you know, if they were to pass, what would happen to their souls? They would go to the kingdom of God. They would go to heaven. Now, is that just for those of our children that are here, or does that count for all the children around the world? Amen. And so we believe that children around the world belong to God. Now, there's this theological debate. We don't know because Jesus doesn't tell us. And so the old adage is for those who study the Bible, it's good to remain silent where the Bible is silent. Where it's black and white, take it whether you like it or not. But where it's silent, you, you know, you have no choice but to say, I don't know. And so the question is, when does a child now get held responsible for sin and judgment? When does that happen? Now, the Jewish people had their traditions for their girls and their boys. The more popular one was the bar mitzvah. You guys have probably heard about that. The child now insert, enters into young adulthood. That could be anywhere between 11, 12, 13, 14, you know. And the same thing with children when they had their... their um, the thing I'm trying to say now in front of everyone in church, when they had their womanly thing happen in their life, you know, I don't need Spanish on that. Thank you very much. I prefer not to know that in Spanish. So when that monthly thing would happen, it's like now she enters into a woman's phase of life. When the men get bar mitzvah, it's around that same. Let's say puberty. There's the word I'm looking for. Puberty. I don't get embarrassed much, but there we go. Puberty is a great word for what I was trying to say. When children generally go into puberty, the religious community also holds them accountable now. Does everybody get that? 
So it's like these children right here can be held accountable for their age and for their understanding. But how many know there's a difference in the what we can hold them accountable to compared to when they become a teenager? And so that's why when I, when I meet with teenagers, I like to put the fear of God in them and tell them, you're not too young to go to hell. You're getting to be right at that age, 13, 14, 15, where now you're going to be responsible for your eternal decisions, not just for the decisions you're making right now for your college or for your life and so forth and so on. And uh, Jesus is very clear here that we should not hinder them from the kingdom of God. And here's a little nugget to get out of this as well, because he talked about this before. Childlike faith is admirable. Childlike faith is admirable. So if you look at this phrase, belongs to such as these. So in one sense, we are all supposed to be God's children. Because how do we behave as God's children in relationship to how children behave? We trust our father. We trust our father. That's childlike faith. Now, sometimes people confuse childlike faith with being childish. There's a difference. God is not affirming childish behavior. So let's say a child was misbehaving here today. God's not going, that's great, I'm all about that, and I want you to act just like them. No, what he's wanting you to do is have childlike faith. So think of all the experiences you've had with children, either, you know, if your parents or aunts or uncles here or whatever. Think about how your children trust you. When you put food before them, do they think it's poisonous? No, they eat it. Uh, oh, man, this is a great example. My three-year-old sees planes fly around our neighborhood because we're by a private airport. And one day she saw them. She's like, airplane, airplane. And I'm like, do you want to go on an airplane? She's like, yeah, I want to go on that. And she's my three-year-old, right? And I'm thinking she may forget about it. And I'm like, we'll go on that one day. But she didn't forget about it. The very next day, how many know children don't forget about stuff like that? The very next day, she's like, airplane, want to go on the airplane? Like she woke up in the morning like, I want to go now. In her mind, I should own an airplane, okay? Because children don't know the difference. You know, if we told children there's people on the moon right now, we can go take a spaceship, they'd be like, let's go on a spaceship. I want to go on a spaceship. Because they believe. So my daughter just believed daddy could get us on an airplane. So I had to go figure this out. How do I get a three-year-old on one of these airplanes? Well, I call up that, that airfield that's biased that runs these private planes all the time. And I told them the whole story. My three-year-old wants to do this. And they gave me this whole plan of how I could spend a lot of money to do that. And I was like, well, I don't really have a lot of money. But they said, oh, there's this cool thing that we do for children uh, eight and over can do this thing called Little Eagles. Retired pilots come with their private jets. They fly these young children from uh, eight to teenagers, rather. Uh, but they got to be at least eight. And they do it for free. And they show them what it's like to be up there and all these cool things. They'll let them touch the controls and all that. And I said, yeah, but that's not for my three-year-old. And then they went back to the money thing. But the guy said, you know what? If you bring your family out there, these guys are so nice, they may take you up. So I'm thinking I'm going to get out there. There's a few guys with a the plane. They're like kicking the tires going up. I get there. There's lines everywhere. It's like a big deal. You know, this is like a big deal. So I try to do my little negosh. You know, I got my little cutester there. And they're like, no, we can't bring her up. She's not old enough. FAA rules and all these kind of other rules. And they're like, no, these guys, you can't even talk to them. They're too busy. They can't do that. So I almost had like this biggest letdown moment with my daughter. But I said, hold on. It's not over yet. Have faith, somebody. Come on. So I said, hold on. And she trusted me. And lo and behold, God had our back. A commercial airline pilot who himself had been a part of those programs came by to hang out with all the families just on his own, a young single dude, commercial pilot. They pointed to me and said, that guy's trying to get his family up. He said, Joe, if you'll rent the plane, and I'll get you a great deal on it, which was less than everything else I was going to do. He said, if you'll rent the plane for an hour, which only turned out to be about $134, he said, I'll take you and your three-year-old up, land, bring out the rest of them because it's only a four-seater. It's smaller than a car, by the way. He said, I'll bring you guys both up. My daughter got into the private plane like as if she was getting into our car. She just hopped in, sat down. I am almost shaking. I am almost trembling. I am like, this thing is, this thing looks so small. How many have seen these kind of small planes? Like, dude, I could put my hand here, my hand here and touch the whole entire side of, not the wings, but the what I'm going to sit in. I'm sitting in the thing, shutting the door. And I just look back. You could see the video on Facebook. She's just smiling. There's not one thing that could possibly go wrong. We're going flying. 
We're going to go up thousands of feet in something that was built in 1968 that doesn't even have air conditioning. We're just going to go up there. We're just going to go fly. She's cool with it. And we get up there, and they're smiling, they're laughing and giggling. See, that's childlike faith. That's how you and I need to trust God when it comes to our life. God is saying, like this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like this. So let me pray for them. Let's encourage them. And he says, I'm going to do that. But remember the lesson here. You need to be like them. You need to be able to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, bless me. I am your child. I don't know everything. I'm scared at times in life, and I need your help so that I can reach new heights with God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now let's switch gears, switch subjects, because now a rich man walks up, and this is where it's going to get a little bit more convicting. Verse 16, I'm going to do what I did last week and just read the entire passage by God's grace, because I want you to hear the interaction without my interruption. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He said, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false uh, testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What shall, uh, what shall I or what do I lack? And then Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, somebody say, if you want to be perfect. Thank you. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now watch one of the saddest parts of the Bible right here. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit what? Eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Well, the first thing that we understand is that a rich man came to Jesus, and he's unnamed. I believe there's a lot of subtleties in this story that we got to stop and get. In the Bible, those who carried a name were generally the rich, and they would be known by their name. Just like in today's offering lesson, when I said Donald Trump, everybody goes, I know that person. If I say, you know, the guy down your street, you don't, you know, everybody's not going to know him because rich people carry a name. In Matthew, Matthew doesn't give the rich man a name because it's almost like he's not the kind of person you want to be like. So he's going to go nameless, and he's not going to be somebody that you're going to be idolizing. He leaves him anonymous. What this tells us, and I think that little subtlety is, your riches mean nothing to God. You will not carry a name and a reputation with God. So if you could scroll all you up to the top, please, and follow as I go through this, the rich man. The rich man did not have the honor of being given a name. But what names do we know in the Bible? Peter, James, John. Were they rich? No, but we know their names because they were in the kingdom. Do you understand the difference? There's something there to be learned that your riches will not get you a reputation with God. You will not have the kind of name that gets you places with God. Your name will get you nowhere with God, only the name of Jesus. Now, here's where we begin to have to do our best to understand this conversation. And if you've been following with us in Jesus' life, you'll be able to understand some of his sass. If you didn't catch it, Jesus was sassy at least three times with this person. If you didn't catch it, those of you who have been around, you should have caught it. The first thing that guy does is he says, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Why do you think Jesus did that? Because he wanted to check him. 
At this point, Jesus already had been clear on what you had to do. It was already clear, but this man wanted a special meeting with Jesus because of his clout and kind of get one-on-one. And I see this oftentimes. I'll preach the message. We'll have the altar workers here, and there'll be those people who just want to wait and talk to me. Like, what do I have to do? And, and I'm almost the same way. Like, like, did you not listen? We just told you the announcements of what to do. Go get a mentor. You, you need prayer? Oh, I want you to pray for me. Well, how about these people pray for you? Why do you ask me? Why are you coming to me? Didn't you just go to a two-hour service? Didn't you hear what everybody else heard? Why is it now you need to pull me aside and have some kind of a special meeting with me? Because in your mind, you think you deserve it, right? So let's just stop right here. He's rich, and maybe we not be, may not be rich in comparison to, to in our culture, but do we share that same kind of mentality and have that mindset like, we're Americans. I'm going to talk to your manager. That's like a rich man's privilege, isn't it? And in comparison to the third world or to other poor countries where people are just like, I'm happy I came to church today, we're like, I'm going to talk to the pastor. So you might be more like the rich man than you thought. Do you kind of think to yourself, you need special treatment around here? That the life groups aren't good enough? The prayer workers aren't good enough? Unless you hear it from the guy with the microphone, it's not good enough for you. Right there and then, Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? He says, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, some people think Jesus denied his divinity here by saying in another passage, if we go to different gospels, it says, only God is good. Why are you calling me good? And then some, some people will say, well, see, if Jesus is God, he, he would have said, I'm good. But he didn't say he wasn't good. He just says, why are you calling me good? Don't you know who I am? I'm not just a teacher. I am equal with the God, the only one that is good. So instead of this being a testimony against Jesus' divinity, it's actually a proof, but he's messing with the person. So he's saying, why are you asking me, treating me as if we're equals and peers and wanting to know about eternal life? Because if you knew there's only one that's good, and I am that that one that's good, you would have humbled yourself just like the rest of my disciples did, hit your knees a long time ago. Because why didn't, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do what Peter did? Why, why didn't he give up all of those things already? Because you see, he's probably hanging around waiting for his special time. And so then Jesus says, you know what to do, keep the commandments. And now you can almost see him snarkily asking, well, which ones? You know, so somebody comes up to me, I can see myself in the same way. You know, pastor, what should I do to, to, you know, to be, you know, in the kingdom of God, obey God? Well, which things should I do? You see, a lot of times we ask God stupid questions, don't we? We do. You see, if you're here today going, I don't know what to do, and you've been around for a while, that's not true. This person knew what to do because as you're going to see when Jesus starts naming them, he's like, I am doing those things. So it's not that he didn't know. What he wanted Jesus to tell him is that he did not have to become like the disciples who were following Jesus everywhere Jesus was going. So he wanted to kind of negotiate with Jesus and have a different path of discipleship. So these disciples had to give up everything, their families, their homes, and travel with Jesus. He just wanted to know, could he just be a good guy and still get the benefits that the disciples are getting? And so he snarkily, you can almost hear, says, well, which ones? And Jesus now just says, well, the obvious ones. Don't murder people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why do you think Jesus at this point did not take him back to his Sermon on the Mount and start saying, and by the way, lust is also what you do in, in your heart, and that's adultery. And murder is also what you do in your heart when you're angry. You know why? Because Jesus is not going deep with them. He's like, you want to justify yourself, don't you? Well, just do these. And then the man goes, all of these I have kept. And you know he's lying. He hasn't kept all of those. He's even broken them according to Jesus because he's done it in his heart. The young man said, I've done all of this. What do I still lack? This is how we know everything I was saying before is at least true to the point of the illustration I'm giving is because why did he know he was lacking something? Jesus never told him you're lacking anything. 
How did he know I'm lacking something? Because he was watching the other disciples and he was not experiencing what they were experiencing. And he's like, man, I'm missing something here. And I, I want to know if I can try to justify it. And, I, you know, I feel like maybe I can get away with this. So let me pull him aside on my own and see if I can find another way around this and not be on the outside. Do you ever feel that way with Christianity? Because you might have the same mentality as the rich man, which is like, you know what? Those guys go to life group because they need it. They don't have as good a job as me and make all the money I do. They don't have as good of a marriage as me. They're not doing as good a life as me. They need mentorship. They need discipleship. But over time, you may want to come to me and go, well, pastor, what do I have to do to really be involved beside doing those things? What other path can you give me? And you see, Jesus is going to tell him now the path of perfection. Look at verse 21. If you want to be perfect, because didn't Jesus say, be ye perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew 6 uh, and Matthew 5, 48. Didn't he say that? See, now Jesus cuts the chase and goes, if you want to be right with God and you want to stop playing around, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then you come follow me. You want to be like Peter? Do what Peter did. You want to be like these boys? Do what they did. You want me to cut to the chase with you? I'm going to tell you to do it now. Because you know you're lacking something. You know you might look like everybody else in the crowd that comes and follows you know, Jesus, but you're lacking something. And so this is the point right here we cannot miss. Perfection is the requirement. No one's getting to heaven without perfection. When Jesus said, be ye perfect, for my heavenly Father is perfect, that was not a suggestion. That was just as much of a command as thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery. That is a command, and it is a command to perfectly pursue God. Now look at this, verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this is where I want to ask you, how many times have you walked away from doing what God asked you to do because you had great opportunity to live life without God. See, I talk to people all the time. They go, eh, it's okay if I miss church because I still got a job. I don't need Jesus for that. I still got a bank account. I don't need Jesus for that. You know, you Christians give your money to the church. I keep my money. You see, most people today are not serving God because they're atheists. They're not serving God because they have great opportunity to have a good life without him. They can have a good life without him. They don't need to come to church on Sunday. They'll just come once a month. They don't need to go to life groups. And you see, that's the mentality of the rich and the privileged. I, I have opportunities. Maybe Peter, maybe Peter was just a married middle-class guy who didn't like his life. He had a midlife crisis. He needs you, Jesus. I'm rich. I got great opportunity to have a good life. And what I see in our culture today is that's why people walk away from Jesus. Because Jesus says, you want to be perfect? He says, forsake your homosexuality and follow me. And people go, well, I've got great opportunity in the drag queen community. I just got an advertisement for a drag queen that's coming to Chicago that obviously uh, is popular, fills up 2,000-seat auditoriums. I just got the advertisement. I don't know who they think they're advertising to, but I just got it. <laughs> see, they, see, see, that man dressing up as a woman's got opportunities. Walk away from God, walk away from church, still popular as ever. Oprah Winfrey, popular as ever, doesn't have to go all in for God, has opportunities. And to us here in this church, to a certain extent, all of you got opportunities. Walk away from God, go date. You can find somebody to fall in love with, spend your life with, make money with, retire in Florida. What are you going to give up for Jesus See, the way to Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That is the way for everybody. And sometimes people go, oh, well, you preachers don't tell people to give up their money anymore because you got all this money. You know, you guys do all this. No, 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 that's not true. I will give up every single thing in my life for God at any moment. I have done it already at different times in my life, and I would do it again in 30 seconds. The Bible is clear. 
You cannot have two masters. We've already been over that. You will love one and hate the other and hate one and love the other. And so what we need to understand here is that money itself is not the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. Let's turn there quickly to see what money can do to the heart. In uh, second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For the love of money. Somebody say the love of money. Thank you. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not money itself. It's the love of money. See, this man loved his money. This man wasn't willing to give up something that he loved for Jesus. And you can become that same way. You can become a lover of money and never even have a lot. Get deceived into believing that the more you have, the happier you'll be. And so you'll be what they call the working poor or the rich, the, the rich uh, overworked person. Because you're working, you got money, but you're poor on the inside. Or you're, you're achieving things, but you're not really getting the things you need in life. You're losing things. What would it gain to... Uh, what would you prosper or what would it gain to get the whole world? What, it, would it, what would it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet you lose his soul? I was with an entrepreneur yesterday. He was, uh, I was at his restaurant. Then I was going to go eat another. He's going to start another restaurant. So I was walking around with him. And then afterwards, you know, he was talking about all these things he was doing. And I just put my hand on his shoulder as we were walking. And I said, I said what, would, what would you gain if you gained the whole world yet you lose your soul, man? He's a young man like me doing a lot of great things in business, and he's just popular as ever. All these things are blowing up. And he said, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have anything if I lost my soul. And I said, brother, this is how it starts. Nobody starts off saying, I mean, maybe some crazy people you'll read about, they trade their soul, but nobody really starts off saying, I'm going to trade my soul for this business to prosper. But what happens is now you have one location, two locations, three locations. Now you have another promotion. Now you get this next thing. And then before you know it, you're making trades with your soul. And destruction doesn't always look like what happened in the Bahamas. And we need to pray for them with the hurricane that came by. Uh, it doesn't always look like that. A lot of times people leave the church and they'll do better. See, because this is not like winning the lottery here, friends. This doesn't mean now everything in your life is going to be roses and yellow brick road. There are people that leave here and actually get better jobs, better cars, better houses, better opportunities. And you'll be here serving God and you and your uh, spouse will be taking a vacation to uh, uh, White Castle. I mean, I've been taking a date night to White Castle, not a vacation there. You'll be on a date night at White Castle and they'll be taking a vacation to Boca Raton. But I'm telling you, is that really rich in the kingdom of God? No, they're poor because they've made an exchange for their soul. Jesus said it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we admit that we're nothing without God, we can receive everything from God. Now look at verse 23. After this man walks away, Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this is where we all need to wake up and go, He's talking about people like me. People who are privileged like me, who think there's another way, or I'm going to go try to figure this out on my own, or I got other opportunities. God is literally saying to you, to me, it is easier for a camel to be walked right into a sewing needle than it is for you to humble yourself and grasp this without the help of God. You see, a lot of you go, I got it, but you don't got it because you don't act like it. Let me check your bank account and see how much you're giving to the church. Let's see if you got it. Because <laughs> you can say amen all, long, all day long, but are you a tither? You sow into the ministry? Are you a giver? Let's look at your time. Do you volunteer or is it all about you, yourself, and I? Because it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. Like I said, talk to most obese people. They're the most smartest people about diets you'll ever meet. I learned that real quick. I had a couple of friends that were obese. I talked to them. I said, man, you know, I'm thinking about losing some weight. You want to lose weight? They talked to me for about a half hour in every way they know to lose weight. Seriously, you know what I'm talking about. Why? Because they tried this, they tried that, they read this, they've been on. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you understand it yet. Just because you can recite to me a diet you tried for two weeks doesn't mean you understand that diet. 
Prove to me you understand that diet by losing 100 pounds. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I have lost over 100 pounds. I lost close to uh, over 80 pounds, uh, 60 pounds rather. It takes work. It takes time. And so you can look at me and go, of course I don't love money, pastor. That's dumb. I don't want to go to hell. I love Jesus. Yeah, but let's look at your bank account. Let's look at your time. Let's look at your priorities. Let's look at how you're doing in discipleship. Remember, one-on-one discipleship is only seven lessons. Why aren't you getting it? A child could get it. Because you're prideful. you got other opportunities. You've got other issues that you're putting before your maker, before your God. And I know sometimes people look at the eye of the needle, uh, the, 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 the needle and the eye of a camel, and they try to think of like cultural things. And they're like, well, maybe there was this little thing that you could, um, a, a little hole in a wall that they called the eye of a needle. And the only way you could go through is if you get down on your knees. That is, there's no evidence for that. Literally, Jesus is saying, look at a big old camel. They'll have them at some of those places you'll go to, those zoos, those, those, uh, those fall harvest places, the place I go to as a camel. Now imagine pulling that camel forward as you're sticking a needle in its eye. What do you think that camel's going to do? That camel's going to buck. It's going to jump. It's going to pull back. It's going to do everything it can. Now imagine trying to be uh, the one holding on to that camel, dragging it into the needle. That's what it's like for me as a pastor to get you to serve God when you don't want to. I can't do it, and I'm not going to try. That's like you trying to serve God and your heart wanting something that your flesh, uh, your flesh wanting something, excuse me. That's like you wanting to serve God in your heart but not uh, denying your flesh. So your flesh keeps pulling you away from the things of God and you're trying to discipline your flesh without God's help. It's like trying to pull a camel through the eye of a needle. Did you get that? I, I confused myself, but I want to make sure I get the example right. You can be your own worst enemy. You won't even have the strength to pull your own flesh into the things of God. Now, the disciples got this because they said right here, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can be saved, Jesus? Because if it is impossible to do that, they understood it immediately. It is impossible to pull a camel through the, through the needle. It's not going to happen. It's just, it's, it won't happen. Now look at what Jesus says back. With man, this is impossible. That's including you trying to save yourself. If I can't save myself, how much less can I save you? Come on, somebody. But what what does it say here? But with God, all things are possible. It's impossible for me to stop looking at pornography. Joe of 1995. But with God, it was possible. In 1995, it was impossible for Joe to stop cursing. It would have been like trying to pull a camel through the the eye of a needle. But with God, it's possible. It's impossible for people here to be married and not wander off and have sex with another person. But you know what? But with God, it's possible. It's impossible for some of you to want to give away your money to the church. But with God, it's possible for some of you, it's impossible for you to share your faith and talk because you get nervous. You don't have much to say. But with God, it's possible. Do you understand? You could summarize your entire Christian life this way. It is impossible without God, but possible with God. See, the rich man wanted to play churchianity. Not Christianity, but churchianity. He wanted to find a way where it was possible for him to be a good person and to hold on to the things of his, of his flesh. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you got to give it all up. And the guy's like, well, I can't do it. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to fall down to his knees just like everybody else had in the stories we've been reading and go, I can't, but I know you can't help me to give it all up for you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Do what's impossible in my life. Now, I love Peter because Peter's been watching this whole thing, and he's always the one that speaks up. And he's like, "Uh, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We broke. We're poor. Well, my wife's been wondering where I'm at. I haven't seen my kids. What then shall there be for us, Jesus? 
You know, I mean, think about it. This is a time of oppression. This is a time of revolution. You know, Peter at this point is like, are we all just going to die poor? Are we going to storm the gates of Rome? Like, what is going on, Jesus? Because we could have used this guy's help. I wish you would have kept him around. We could have used his money. I'm tired of eating, you know, the same thing every week and every day. Jesus, what is going to happen to us? Now, look what Jesus does, and this is what he had did before. If you remember Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. What does he do? He sets his mind on heaven. He says to him, truly I tell you, Peter, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys who were here with me will have authority in the kingdom to come. We know Judas took his life, and I believe he was replaced with Paul. But when the kingdom of God comes, there will be God's great throne, and then the throne of all the apostles. You and I will serve in a kingdom of the apostles. It's coming whether the world likes it or not. These apostles will be the, will be the leaders, the governors of the world. We will be holding on to the teachings that the Holy Spirit gave to them. And they will be our leaders, the Bible says. And then as well, there will be thrones under them that we will rule and reign. So you could almost see them as the Supreme Court in Jerusalem, Jesus being there. And then those of us here ruling over towns like Chicago and you know larger cities and towns like Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I came from. There will be governors and rulers, not angels. Get this in your mind. Angels will never rule this earth. That's why a fallen angel tried to take it from us. Man was created to have dominion over the earth. And when we lost it, God became a man to get it back for us so man could go back to his rightful place of sitting on a throne with his father and the son and the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning. Amen. You and I were created to rule and reign. So he says to these guys, you think think that guy had great wealth? You're going to sit on a throne and rule the world with me. Come on, somebody. And then he says, and everyone, now he talks to everyone. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will receive or inherit eternal life. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that. And it says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Adam in the band, would you come please? And so we get the ending. We're going to be rewarded. But verse 30 says it like this, that some that are first are going to be last and some that are last are going to be first. What does that mean? Everybody get this. Everybody get this. Other than the 12 disciples who have their special place, not only do they get 12 thrones, but they have their names written on the foundation stones of the new Jerusalem. But listen, after that settlement of who are the 12 governors of the world, Everything else is up for grabs. And so literally what he's saying to them is, just because right now you guys are listening to me, you're first to get the kingdom, that doesn't mean you're going to be the best in the kingdom. Because there's going to be some folks like Berto uh, Govea that's going to come up around 2019, and he's going to go hard for the kingdom. And so he's going to get blessed. So don't you act like just because you were here first that you're going to get a special place. You better work in the kingdom to receive your reward. Because some of y'all, he's pointing out to that crowd, you're going to get passed up by people who aren't even born yet. Are you getting that? So I'm so thankful that there's still places in the kingdom to be had. And I know when we talk like this, sometimes people just get weirded out. It's almost like we went Lord of the Rings or something, you know, like we're going to start role playing. But no, honestly, everybody think about this. We will rule and reign on the earth. What do you think that looks like? It's not going to be like ethereal, like, oh, we're on the earth, the earth, the earth, and here I am. I'm floating. No, the Bible says it will be just like it was in the Garden of Eden, and yet we will be doing things, building things, running things, cooperating with others, but we will be the rulers. And so I want to ask you a question. Number one, are you willing to humble yourself in a way that the rich man wasn't? And then number two, are you willing to work in the kingdom of God to store up those treasures in heaven that come down? Because remember, we've already heard that when we give, there's treasures in heaven. But when he comes down, what's he bringing? He brings the treasures with him. 
Let me just say it again. Mansions aren't in heaven, y'all. They're on earth. Come on. The ruling and reigning is not in heaven. Who's there to rule and reign over? The angels? I'm just going to rule over angels? No, the Bible says after the rapture, after the judgment of God, the earth continues for a thousand years. That's what they were always talking about. I could do a whole other message just on the kingdom of God. So get that as a reality. Who will you be in the kingdom of God? I'm preparing you for that day. How many know, quickly as we get ready to close, how many know people tried to prepare you when you were in elementary school and in high school for the workforce and the work world? How many know they tried to get you ready? Some people are like, they never taught me this in school. I love what one meme said. You weren't listening. They did. You know, I'm being honest with you because a lot of you are like, I wasn't taught that in school. Yes, you were. You were taught how to get a job in school. Trust me, somebody told you that. Somebody told you how to spend money in school. I, I remember that, okay? So I know if they told me, they told you. But listen, a lot of us didn't listen. A lot of us didn't listen in school how to do that. And so when we entered into the workforce, we were like, whoa, this is crazy. Loans work like this. Yeah, you took classes in math that taught you about percentages. You were supposed to understand that when they say they're going to give you a 7% interest rate, that's not good. All right, listen to me, folks. I know a lot of y'all went to public school, but listen, y'all still got something, okay? Follow my example. People taught you, but most of the time we weren't listening. We were kids. We didn't care. Well, you know, same thing. I remember being in D.A.R.E. Uh, classes and things, and they were like, you know, don't do drugs. This is your brain on drugs and all that. I didn't care. I still did drugs. And then I was wondering, why is my brain messed up? Why, why, why did this not work? I'm being honest. How many of you found yourself in trouble and wondered why you were there, but then you thought about it a little bit? Come on. You know, I, I, I could keep you here all day. Like girls wonder why they get pregnant. Were you not paying attention? Were you not paying? How did you think that was going to go for you? Okay. But now listen, I am here and Jesus is here. The word is here to prepare us for the world to come. It's coming. And you can't show up into the kingdom of God and say, well, I was never told about this. I, I thought I was just going to become some ghost with wings floating around somewhere. I didn't know there was actually going to be a kingdom and rulership and assignments. And I was going to be doing stuff for a thousand years. No, we're trying to prepare you. Heaven is just the waiting place until we come down to rule and reign. We're waiting now for God's judgment to come. Honestly, that's the only thing that's left is for the gospel to be preached to the rest of the world and for his judgment to come because he will not come until all the world has heard the gospel. Number one, are you willing to humble yourself and do what the rich man didn't? And number two, are we willing to put in work for the kingdom and consider whatever losses as gains? This doesn't mean to, you know, to neglect your family, to be rude to your parents. What it's saying is if any of these folks here, sister, father, mother, wife, children, or even your job fields get in the way, you put Jesus first. You get a new job. You know, you do things different. You don't make excuses. Well, my parents didn't let me serve God. Well, my job didn't let me serve God. You put God first. Amen? Let's go. Come on, let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. God bless you. Amen. I hope that we got something today. Let's have the altar workers and band, uh, or rather the altar workers come. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this awesome time together. Lord, search our hearts and see if there's any in us, uh, any here that have uh, the love of money in us. If you have the love of money, would you repent of it right now? There's nothing wrong with having nice things. It's just nice things shouldn't have your heart. If there's anyone here that thinks you have privilege and a, and a different way to serve God other than the way he commanded, would you repent of that? Like you think you need different kind of treatment. Repent of that right now. All of us search our hearts. Father, show us if there be any here that need to repent for the love of money. Change us from the inside out, oh God. Change us, rearrange us, God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, this would be a great day to do what the rich man didn't do and to ask Jesus into your heart. Do what he didn't do and repent of your sins. Put God first. It's that simple. Keep his commands. Be born again. A few moments. In just, a, in just a bit, we'll pray for those who need it. And you can come up now even if you do. But I want you just to think about this before uh, we dismiss. Is if you're here today and you would say, okay, I got Christianity down. I understand what it's like to serve God. But I'm struggling with putting him first in areas where it costs me something.
Would you ask the Lord to give you boldness right now? Like, you, you just become cowardly when it comes to talking to your boss about hours off, you know? Because he holds, he holds you by a, you know, by a, by a string over, you know, over the fire. And you're like, man, if I just do one thing wrong, I'm going to lose this job. I'm going to lose this job. Man, I can't do, you know, I can't do that. You don't understand. Come on, pray for courage today. Pray for courage today. To get time off. To put God first in your life. Is it worth going to hell over those extra hours or that job? Is it? What are there other distractions? Some of you have relationship distractions. It may not be money, but some of you are like, well, you know, if I go to church, this person in my family is going to get upset because we were raised Catholic or, or we were taught differently and I don't want to upset them and this and that and this and that. Ask God to help you. Jesus, we put you first today. Now, I want you to hear this before we go. If any of those things I said to you to do as a you know, response to the message, you know, don't let money have your heart. Put Jesus first and all that you do. Be bold and making time for God. If anything in your heart came back with, that's impossible. I can't do that. You don't understand. Then you are that rich man today. Because you don't see what God can do. All you see is the problems in front of you. You see, if the rich man could have seen heaven coming to earth and ruling, reigning with Christ, he would have understood what he had and all of his wealth wasn't even worth a penny compared to what God was going to do. All he saw was the impossibility, not the possibility with God. So if there's any here, be honest before we go, if there's any here that goes, man, that would be impossible, Joe. I can't do that. I can't, I can't change jobs. I can't, you know, leave this relationship or put my foot down, people will leave, people will get upset. You need to stop right now and come back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for doubting you. Make what's impossible possible. Father, thank you for this day. I pray we'll never doubt what you can do, oh God. Make us like children to believe. Children to believe, God, that you can do it. You can do it, God. There's nothing impossible for you today. Encourage us to put you first and help us to keep heaven on sight in all that we do. Because we do believe when we pray it will happen. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody said, amen. If you believe it, come on, his kingdom is coming. God bless you.